I started reading uh, the last book in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy right before the summer began, uh, The Return of the King. It turns out Matt Munger was reading it to his kids at the exact same time, which was a cool coincidence, but also made me think he's a much better dad than I am because I'm not reading it to my, to my kids like he is. Uh, so we, we were both, we were uh, at an elders meeting, we were talking about it, and we were both at right about the same time at the climax of the book. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's where Frodo and Sam, sorry, it's a... Uh, an alert here, okay? So if you haven't, I guess plug your ears. But it's, it said Frodo and Sam are on Mountain Doom. And there's a struggle with Gollum, right? And the final destruction of the ring of power. And when it's all said and done, Sam, Samwise Gamshi wakes up in Ithelion and sees Gandalf on his bed. And he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? So the fellowship completed its mission, saving Middle Earth. And the completion brought a sudden turn of events that made the story resolve favorably. This was what Tolkien called a eucatastrophe. The U, E-U in Greek is good, and a catastrophe is destruction. It's the good destruction. It's a eucatastrophe when things take a sudden turn of events and, and often brings tears because it's, it's so good that the resolve to the sadness has been made. And it brings out the question, is everything sad going to come untrue? Now we're going to look at the last event in the book of Mark through the eyes of you catastrophe, the good destruction. And through this outline, when death produced courage, verses 15, chapter 15, verses 42 through 47, when resurrection produced fear, chapter 16, 1 through 8, and when the story isn't over, chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. We're going to start with when death produced courage. Hear God's word. This is God's, friends, brothers and sisters, this is God's word to you. These are his words to you. Hear them and be comforted. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb and that had been cut out. Of the rock, and he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man 
sitting at the right, on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, and trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So when death produced courage, Jesus' death was verified. It was a real death. We just, I just want to make that clear. Let me get some water. Sorry. Jesus' death was a real death. There, you know, for all of, the, all of the theories that say Jesus didn't really die, he just swooned or he faked death or he, was, he, he passed out and was re- revived later, that just is not intellectually honest. There are, account, there are accounts or eyewitness testimony of Jesus' death, and it's overwhelming. It is a historically verifiable event. And verses 43 through 47 give us all the evidence that we need. <laughs> so let's just line it up real fast. There are three lines of evidence for Jesus' death, that he actually died. The first was Joseph of Arimathea, who asked for the body. There is an uh, assumption that everyone around the cross knew that he, Jesus, was dead. And after coming to Pilate to ask for the body so he can give him a proper burial, uh, Pilate is surprised that Jesus is already dead. Joseph is the first line of evidence. He, he asked for Jesus' body because he knew he was dead. Pilate is the second line of evidence, but he's connected to the centurion. Do you, do you remember the centurion who had confessed that Jesus was the son of God after seeing him die? So Pilate and the centurion confer, is Jesus really dead? And, and, and so the centurion is the right person to ask because he would, have had, he would have experienced and seen many crucifixions, hundreds if not thousands of crucifixions, and he could have confirmed right away that Jesus really was dead. He would have known someone like the centurion, part of his job, like his life was at stake here, was to make sure that the criminals were actually dead. So most times they would break their legs so that they, they would suffocate. They couldn't breathe. They didn't have to do that with Jesus. But they were, because they were sure he was dead. I'm not sure how many dead patients a, a mortician has to see at the morgue before they realize at sight that someone's dead. But I imagine it's not more than this man saw. The centurion Pilate put a lot of trust in this Roman centurion. The centurion said it's dead, so Pilate grants the body of Jesus to Joseph. All, all the evidence lines up, and it has to leave you convinced. You know, Paul and other places say there were, you know, eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, but there were also eyewitnesses to his death. Jesus actually died. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a, this isn't a, uh, a wish fulfillment. But what kind of a death produces courage in people? You can understand it produces lament, sadness, anger, fear. But when has it ever produced courage? Jesus' death 
actually produced a courage in Joseph of Arimathea that becomes an example of faith for us. Just a couple of questions to ask. Why did Joseph need courage? Have you ever read the story and asked that question? Like, why does, why does the scriptures tell us he took up his courage? Well, Joseph needed courage because of who he was. You notice the text tells us that Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council. The, the council was the Sanhedrin. It was the same body that demanded that Pilate put Jesus to death. Joseph of Arimathea was a part of that council. He needed courage because of his status. He needed courage to go and ask for Jesus to own him as his own because of the, of, of the status he had. <clears throat> Something like the son of Hamas. If you've ever read that book, uh, Mossab Hassan Yusuf was the son of one of the seven founders of Hamas. He was uh, what is now a radical terrorist organization. But Mossab Yusuf converted to Christianity after a Bible study with some friends. And he, he later received asylum from the U.S., but there was a price for following Jesus from converting to Islam to Christianity for him. There's a price of separating from your family. There was a price of, of having your life on the line, never knowing if you were going to live or die. There was a price of being a man with no country. And here Yusuf was deciding to follow Christ instead of keeping his family name. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. Following Christ has cost you something. It is meant to cost you something. We ought to ignore contemporary American Christianity that says, when you follow Jesus, you will get your best life right now. That is not true, friends. You, there is suffering. You're following a crucified Messiah. You won't get everything you want. It's living life through rose-colored glasses. It's, it's just not true. Following Jesus costs you something. There's a cost to discipleship. That's what Jesus was trying to make known to his disciples. And for Joseph of Arimathea, the cost was he would lose respect in the council. You know, if they're going to crucify Jesus, what would they do to one of Jesus' followers? Joseph had to pluck up his courage. He had to, he had to overcome the, the social pressure of owning Jesus in, in his death. He not only needed courage because of who he was, but because of who he was asking. Pilate had condemned Jesus to death because Jesus was a, a criminal in, his eye, in, in the state's eyes. Even though Pilate knew he was, he was really innocent, Pilate condemned him to death. And how would this make Pilate look if Joseph was siding with Jesus over Rome. Well, it may be true the reason Pilate granted Joseph's body to, to uh, Jesus' body to Joseph was because he knew Jesus was innocent. Nevertheless, Joseph had to pluck up his courage because of who he was asking. This was the magistrate of Rome who, who was in charge of putting criminals to death and those who were against Rome to death. So Joseph plucked up his courage. Not only because of who he was, but because of who he is asking, but because of who he was asking for. In asking for the body of Jesus, 
Joseph, in one way, in, in one sense, was publicly declaring that he was on Jesus' side. To ask for his body, to bury him in a family tomb, was to take the crucified Messiah as his own. We don't know everything that was going through Joseph's head, but I think that's what Mark's, Mark wants us to see in Joseph. He was siding with Jesus at all costs. He needed courage, so he plucked it up. That's, how, that's why he needed courage. How did he receive the courage? How did he receive his courage? The text tells us that he was a man who had been looking for the kingdom of God. Verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Though Mark doesn't say it outright, Mark does this a lot, the conclusion the reader must come to is that Joseph saw Jesus as the king of that kingdom. Though he was dead, there was something about that man, Jesus, that made him worth taking risks for. We don't know, like I said, all he knew or believed, but Mark holds him up as an example of faith to us. A disciple that doesn't fold under pressure, but plucks up his courage because of who Jesus is, because of his Messiah. Friends, he stands in contrast to the women who leave in fear, the disciples who flee in panic. He stands in contrast to Peter who denies and disgusts. And quite frankly, he stands in contrast to us sometimes, doesn't he? I was talking to Gage about this on Friday. Just how do we apply this? What, where does this apply in our lives? Just thinking about as we talk to our co-workers and neighbors, are we looking for the kingdom of God that would give us courage to speak of Christ? Or, as Gage said, do we wave at our opportunities as they go by? The courage Joseph demonstrates seems to be a result of faith. When you and I pluck up enough courage to speak for Christ or own him as our own, we have a story of faith like Joseph's. There's, there are plenty of stories of, of faith here in this congregation. You, you can remember talking to somebody about Christ or owning him as your own. Some of you have stories that, you know, maybe it didn't cost you your life or the status in the same way it cost Joseph, but it cost you to own Christ. There's plenty of stories. I, I just encourage you to stay around and ask somebody about their story of faith here. A story of grace that triumphs in this congregation. This is one of the things I loved about our community groups this last year it is the table talk time during our community groups where, where we had people sharing their stories of redemption. They, they would tell us how Jesus rescued them from the kingdom of darkness and plucked them out and put them in the kingdom of his dear son. And those stories of faith somehow give us courage to keep going. And as you tell your own story, you're reminded of the resurrected Christ who gave you courage to place your faith in him. Friends, because we can have all the evidences we want. 
Joseph, Pilate, Centurion, 500 witnesses at the resurrection. We can have all the evidence, but none of it matters apart from faith. And it's Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, who gives us this faith. And somehow this death gave Joseph of Arimathea courage to go to Pilate and ask for his body and take Jesus as his own. Mark holds up this man, displaying him in his kind of courage. He wants to see in his disciples risk-taking that finds its hope in God. Mark shows him to be the kind of disciple that Jesus wants, who does not let fear control them. Oh, he's afraid. You know, being courageous doesn't mean you're not afraid. Being courageous means though, though you're afraid, you are controlling it because there's something transcendent. There's something that's helping you through that fear and you pluck up your courage and you walk through it and you do the right thing. He has counted the cost and he has said, the sum, and the sum of his accounting is this, the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So he puts Jesus in his own tomb tomb reserved for family members and and some scholars have said that you know once a stranger is buried in that tomb family is not welcome in there because family is supposed to be together when talking about discipleship Jesus said and who are my mother and brother those who do the will of God he is my brother sister and mother I, I don't know if Joseph had heard this teaching before, but he is what Jesus is talking about. And further, when, when Peter told Jesus how they had given everything, all the disciples say, Peter says, we gave everything to follow you in chapter 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, the good news. Nobody has done any of that who will not also receive 100 fold in this, in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Joseph of Arimathea is showing the kind of faith, the courage it takes to, to take hold of these promises. Take Jesus as your own. But the end of the story is not a story of courage, but of fear. So when resurrection produced fear, all right? So that was the longest part of my sermon. Usually is the first part. I need to work on that. But here we go. We'll, we'll work through this really quickly, Lord willing. So why does Mark end his gospel like this? So there's a debate uh, among Christian conservative scholars as to whether or not Mark ends the gospel here at verse 8 or uh, in, in there's a longer ending, verses 9 through 20. In your, in your Bible, if you have an ESV translation or one of the other translations, uh, you can probably see it bracketed off. It says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include not verses 9 through 20. I can't get into all the reasons why, uh, I mean, it would be the quickest way to probably put you to sleep, but I, I, the reason I am not preaching the, the longer ending of Mark through verse 20 is because I think it ends at verse 8. And, and the short answer is that the oldest manuscripts, just like it says, do not include the section. In, in, uh, Textual criticism, that's called external evidence. So that's one of the external evidences that uh, 
this probably was added later. And you can see why someone would have, would have thought, like, I, I think there's not a resolve here, so I, I think I want to add this. And by the way, this whole section, with the exception probably of the drinking poison, can be attested to in the rest of Scripture. You should not doubt God's word. You should also, you, you should not uh, give people who think that the ending is longer a hard time. This is a part of Christian freedom, I think. And, and based on evidence and, and scholarship, I, I, there's a lot of good reason to think Mark ended his gospel in verse 8. The other reason, so that was external evidence, the other reason that the longer ending does not seem to be part of Mark's gospel is it doesn't really fit Mark's style of writing. This is called internal evidence. And... and it seems to me, as I, as I look through the text and, and, and take the text as a whole, that this ending actually fits what Mark is doing in terms of calling for a response from disciples. Uh, it, it sort of fits Mark's hurried style and, and the way he says immediately all the time and the way he's running through the text and the way he presents Jesus but also the disciples. Now, we can disagree about this and be in the same church, and it's okay. But... My conscience will not let me preach this as the word of God because I, I, I am not convinced that Mark wrote it, even though a lot of it's true. Even though that I, I think most of it, you know, it d does not all of it does not contradict the rest of the Bible. Friends, we should have great confidence in God's word. There are over 5,000 copies of New Testament manuscripts in the original language in Greek there is more manuscript evidence for the New Testament than there is for Homer's Iliad and Herodotus' history combined. There are more manuscripts. And, and among those manuscripts, there's only 90%, there, there's only two, around 2% 2 disagreement. And most of those disagreements are around punctuation or spelling. It's quite literally unprecedented in history of literature. You have every confidence that we have God's word preserved as he wants it. And the only reason for not believing God's word to us is given to us is a choice to ignore the evidence. Because it's not mixed with faith. So I'm not preaching Mark's longer ending because I'm not convinced. I, I want to have a high view of the word of God. And, and my view is that if I'm not convinced that it's not God's word, I'm not going to preach it as God's word. If you have questions about that, let, let's talk later. And you can present your evidence. Maybe you will convince me. I, I don't know. But I, I'd be happy to talk to you about it in, in Christian love. But let's answer this question. Why would Mark end it here, if indeed he did end it here? Well, I think he ends it here because this theme of, of faith and fear are, are, are throughout the gospel. You can just write these down. In chapter 4, verse 41, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are afraid. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? When Jesus casts out the demons and sends them into the pigs, the, the countrymen, the shepherds, are, are afraid of Jesus and ask him to leave as they see this man healed. In chapter 6, verse 50, when Jesus is walking on the water, he comes to them and the disciples are afraid and Jesus says, do not be afraid. Fear not. It is I. And here at the end, 
I believe that Mark is showing us this motif towards the end in order for us to ask ourselves this own question, how will we respond to Jesus? So he he shows these ladies, not as the hero of the story, but as we would be, afraid, astonished, alarmed. How would you respond? If the person you watched died, you watched being executed, you watched them be buried, How would you feel the next time you went to lay flowers at their grave if the grave was empty, the empty casket was sitting beside an empty hole in the ground, and sitting on the tombstone was a man dressed in white, telling you that your friend was not there but had risen from the dead? How would you feel? What would your questions be? Did someone steal the body? Did you steal the body? Are you playing a prank on us, young man? Wait a minute, you're an angel. That makes me even more afraid. Maybe there was fear for all sorts of things. There could have been fear that they were going to be judged because of their unbelief. Some commentators point out that the women knew that the resurrection of the dead was going to accompany the last judgment. So maybe they thought the end of the world was here. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic movie? Have you ever thought, what if that was me? I would be afraid too. And maybe it's a mixture of all these things. Mark doesn't tell us exactly why they were afraid, but that they were. The resurrection caused fear instead of faith. Because, just four reasons. Because they were not looking for the resurrection. They went to anoint the body, literally a corpse. They thought the story was over. Death had won, sin had conquered. They didn't know what was coming that Sunday morning. All they knew was Friday. The resurrection produced fear instead of faith because they failed to understand and believe Jesus' words that he would rise again. Do you remember? He repeated this three times. Chapter 8, verse 31, 9, 31, and 10, 33, and 34. I will suffer, I will die, but I will rise again in three days. They failed to believe and understand these words. Now maybe it was that they weren't there and they didn't know Jesus had said this. But isn't it just as plausible that they were there, but they forgot or didn't understand or didn't believe that the resurrection was true? Maybe it was Jesus was speaking metaphorically. Maybe he was just going to rise in their hearts. I mean, that's true in my life. I fail to believe God's promises all the time. And more often, I'm afraid than filled with faith. The resurrection produced fear instead of faith because they weren't looking for it, because they failed to understand and believe it, and because, thirdly, because death was normal, resurrection wasn't. Imagine a world where life is normal and death is an aberration. Imagine that. Death of your friends your grandparents, your parents, the people you love. Friends, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God created this world to produce and sustain life. And a resurrection was a reversal that was bringing things back to the way they were supposed to be. Resurrection was making life normal. Jesus died and was resurrected to never die again. 
the resurrection, lastly, produced fear instead of faith because they expected the worst. The kingdom of death had been reigning until now. But in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God was here. And the king was snatching life out of the jaws of death. But they had to believe this by faith, not by sight. All the evidences were there. So I ask you, as Mark leaves his readers asking the same question, what is your response to Jesus? The resurrection as a eucatastrophe, as a good destruction? Tolkien says this about it, about the resurrection. The resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible in the greatest fairy story. Not that it wasn't true, but it was almost too good to be true, isn't it? And this resurrection, this eucatastrophe, produces that essential emotion. Christian joy, which produces tears because it is qualitatively like sorrow. Why? Because it comes from the, that place where joy and sorrow are at one, reconciled. How, how is it like that? Well, just the same way selfishness and altruism are lost in love. When you fall in love, you know what it's like to, to have all your, you know, sort of your wishes fulfilled in that one you love. But you're also willing to do everything you possibly can, even giving up your own life for the one you love. The same way joy and sorrow are one reconciled in Christian joy. The resurrection brings that out. The resurrection is the great reversal of all those things. And that's why we can say the story isn't over. The story is not over. Friends, he gave them a mission, and giving them a mission, he gave us a mission. Within his reconciling work, Jesus Christ give these, gives these women a mission, a great commission, if you will. He says to them, did you notice, they were alarmed. He says to them, do not be alarmed. Fear not. Do you know this command is one of the most oft-repeated commands in the scripture as a whole? Why does he have to say that? Because our lives are filled with fear and unbelief. Our lives are filled with death and sadness and sin. But here comes the king of the kingdom who is conquering all these things, healing lepers, walking on water, calming storms, casting out demons, healing the blind, healing the sick, healing the lame. And he has to tell them, fear not. Friends, Jesus is the only true normal one. He, he is bringing things back to the way he created them to be. And now he's here, resurrected, it's causing fear, and he tells them, fear not. Don't be afraid. Pluck up your courage. And the angel says, just come. Come and see the spot where they laid him. Part of the mission is to not fear. Even says it in Matthew. You don't have to be afraid. All power is given to me over heaven and earth. And the resurrection was proof of that. Jesus was vindicated in his resurrection. I have all power. Come and see. He's not here. But not just come and see. Go and tell. Verse 7, go and tell, come and see. Don't be afraid, come and see, go and tell. Go make disciples. The first people you need to make disciples of are the disciples and Peter. 
You need to tell them that he is alive. And not just that he's alive, but just like he said in chapter 14, he's going to Galilee before you and he'll meet you there. Friends, the story isn't over. We haven't seen Peter since he denied. We haven't seen Peter since he sinned so grievously against Jesus, the Son of God. But now, Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, I'm not done with you, Peter. I'm not done with you, disciples who forsook me. I am going to Galilee, this place of hope, and I want you to come with me. So, this week, this past year, your whole life, have you thought, I've sinned a sin that Jesus cannot forgive? Jesus says to you, I'm alive. And I'm going to Galilee. Meet me there. Forsaking Christ in his death and denying Jesus was not the last word on the disciples and Peter. The last word was, tell them I want to meet them. Just like I said I would. Friends, the Roman church who this was most likely written to needed to hear this. Those who had recanted their faith under pressure of Rome. They would have needed to hear that Jesus was not done with Peter. So maybe he's not done with me. In the resurrection, God had vindicated the work of the Son. The substitutionary life and death of Jesus was approved by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Godhead brought Jesus back to life. And in vindicating the Son's work, he vindicates all those who trust in him. He vindicates his love for Christ, but also for you. You want to know if Christ loves you? Look at the resurrection. Look at what Jesus says to disciples that forsook and denied him. Go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. Go to the place of hope. I will be there in my resurrected body. And Mark doesn't tell us, but you wonder, will they be restored? What's going to happen? What will happen? Well, it turns out the women did go tell. Peter did come running. The rest of the disciples came. Jesus had a moment with Peter restoring him to fellowship. And you can see throughout the book of Acts that Peter got it. The first thing that he says to people that crucify the Lord Jesus is that he is alive, and if you turn to him in repentance, he will forgive you. He will. How do you know he vindicates his love for you? What does he say? Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You you might wonder, yeah, but I, I sinned pretty grievously this week in my life. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or even famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, none of that happens unless Jesus was raised. And he was raised. He, he got up from the dead because he didn't have any of his own sins to pay for. He rose again, accomplishing your salvation. As you come back to Mark 16, chapter 8, and it ends in fear. It ends with the ladies afraid. And it just begs the question, how will I respond to Jesus? The resurrection says, Jesus is vindicated. I can be vindicated too. Pluck up your courage and own him as your own. Take him as your own. Friend, if you are not a Christian and, and this intrigues you, or maybe you thought you were a Christian and, and you've never heard anything like this, I encourage you to, I would love to talk to you afterwards or find a Christian friend to explain a little bit more about this. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus. Trust him. Repent of your sins. He will forgive you. The resurrection assures that. Christian friend, we need to be on mission for him, right? He's called us to fear not, come and see, go and tell. Story's not over. How will we respond? The vindicated, resurrected Christ tells you you can live without fear. Let's go and serve him in love. Father, I pray that you would finish this work in our hearts by your spirit, through the love of your son. Even as we turn to communion, oh God, this, this great meal that we get to see, will one day we will have it together with you in person because Jesus was raised from the dead. Give us more faith to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.